0: Welcome to True Talk on WMNF eighty eight point five with Ahmed Ansar. Thank you for this uh, moment of silence uh, brought to you by our producers. As we switch over uh, studios on today's program, we're going to be speaking about uh, the Middle East and um, uh, stories uh, crackdown on human rights groups in Palestine or in in Israel that are monitoring uh, the occupation of Palestinians. Also, there was a um, a recent uh, legislation that was introduced that um, legislates love in the Palestinian West Bank. That and also your phone calls. This is True Talk on WMNF. We'll be right back. <laughs> back to True Talk on WMNF uh, 88.5. That was Habba I guess, um, by Tamar Hosni, uh, Egyptian performer or artist. So um, a few weeks back, a couple of weeks back, Counterspin, which is brought to you by an organization uh, called FAIR, they have a weekly half-hour show called Counterspin, uh, hosted Ahmed Abu Znaid. He is... Um, He's a Palestinian human rights uh, activist, as well as the executive director of Palestinian Rights or Committee on Ca- Palestinian Rights in Washington, D.C. And they spoke to him about the um, coverage of um, Palestinian, of the uh, occupation of Palestine and Israel's occupation of that um, country and the reporting surrounding it. Um, so we're going to listen to that, then um, there's another story I want to also share, then we're, we'll take your phone call. You can also email us at dj at or call when we tell you to at 813-239-9663. So this is the segment from uh, Counterspin.
1: The UN's High Commissioner for Human Rights stated that Israel's designation of a number of Palestinian rights organizations as terrorist raised concerns that the designations were being used to halt, restrict, or criminalize legitimate human rights and humanitarian work. Ten European countries... And not for nothing, the CIA agreed that Israel has not presented sufficient evidence for that terrorist labeling or the subsequent raids conducted, computers stolen, files taken, entryways taped up. The group's legal appeals were dismissed with no opportunity to defend against the secret evidence against them. The Biden administration says it's concerned and that, quote, civil society organizations must be able to continue their important work, close quote. And that's where it ends, evidently, hearts and prayers. Some might find it notable that the overt harassment of Palestinian human rights groups happens within context of the recent series of airstrikes in Gaza that killed at least 46 people, including 16 children. It's important to know that the crisis of occupation isn't a sometime thing and that having fewer voices to hold and host Debate around that will absolutely impact what happens going forward. Ahmed Aboujned is executive director at the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights. He joins us now by phone. Welcome back to Counterspin, Ahmed Aboujned. Hey, thanks for having me, Denny. Well, maybe we should just start with what's been happening in Gaza recently. I don't say that there's been zero coverage, but quantity, in this case, is not so much the point as the quality of that coverage. And I'm not sure how much context there's been for the pieces that folks may have seen. Like I saw a Washington Post reprint of an AP piece, Gaza militants hold parade after latest battle with Israel. So, you know, given that context of U.S. media coverage, what would you have folks know about just what's been happening?
2: Yeah, the first most important thing I would share for folks who are, I think, still gathering knowledge about the issue of Palestine is to know that the people in Gaza have been separated and segregated from the rest of the Palestinian population because of a 15-year blockade imposed by the Israeli government. And even when we use terms like blockade, it's really important for us to help folks understand what that means. And so a blockade on the Gaza Strip Means that Israel essentially controls everything that goes in via land or sea and comes out via land or sea. And of course, Gaza does not have an airport. You know, furthermore, when you talk about the situation of the people of Gaza, you have to understand that limited electricity, 75% of Palestinian people in Gaza are food insecure. You know, hospitals and health services are struggling to operate and save lives while themselves having to worry about being bombed. And so this ongoing trauma persists as long as this blockade exists, as long as the occupation exists, as long as this settler colonialism exists. And so for the Palestinian people all over, but particularly for the Palestinian people in Gaza, an intense blockade does not allow for them to experience the very basics of life. As I mentioned, the water being undrinkable at a 97% clip, electricity being something that's limited, food insecurity, right? This is average, everyday life for the people of Gaza. Now, what's also important to note is because of a lack of a actual military, you have these confrontations between these various resistance groups in Gaza and the Israeli military. And so, that, I would say that the Palestinian people are an occupied population. And I think when most Americans think about Israel and Palestine, they think about a conflict between two nations, each with the military, each with right. resources, each with the weaponry to defend themselves. And that certainly is just not the case. And so you end up in a dynamic where these resistance groups are firing rockets that rarely affect Israeli lives Meanwhile, Palestinians face bombardments, with which we've seen, you know, over 40 Palestinians killed in this latest round of violence, but just last summer, over 260. And so this is something that, unfortunately, kids 14 and under in Gaza have now experienced five times in their livelihood.
1: Well, and just to the point that you've just made that Washington Post, well, it was a reprint of actually an AP piece, talked about recent airstrikes as a flare-up that, quote, left 49 Palestinians dead, close quote, and it makes it sound as though violence is intervening in Gaza or suddenly and intermittently there is violence in Gaza. And it sounds like what you're saying is we need to think about violence in terms of a daily, a daily violence.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say this passive voice that media operates in is also extremely problematic. Airstrikes didn't just occur, the Israelis launched the airstrikes. Um, Also, you know, I've been hearing many folks talk about this as a defensive war, right? But I think, you know, if folks were to read through a lot of the nonsense, they'd find that, you know, this is a strike that Israel launched without any kind of defensive necessity, right? This was an offensive strategic strike that they started launching, and then it escalated. And then, yes, the point that you were uplifting that I made earlier is that the blockade is incredibly violent when a young... Palestinian student in Gaza wants to study abroad and they're denied the ability to travel by the Israelis That is incredibly violent and a direct result of them being Palestinian. When a cancer patient needs to access better health services in order to survive their battle with cancer and they're denied that ability, that is brutality. When a fisherman has his boats off the sea in Gaza and cannot leave past a certain radius that the Israelis grant them, that is incredibly violent. And folks, I think Are not as understanding of that when we think about terms like blockade and occupation they don't understand how a checkpoint or a blockade being in the middle of a family who needs medical care in a hospital can oftentimes lead to death and a trauma that again we have not had the chance to deal with as palestinians because it's ongoing
1: well and i wonder what you make of the white house response then which is we're against this but we're not going to do anything about it. I mean, that's how it reads to me, is like we want to be officially on the record as opposing both the raids on the human rights groups and the attacks on Gaza, but that's not going to materially amount to anything in terms of policy change with regard to Israel.
2: Yeah, that's right. The Biden administration is really just like any other U.S. administration in recent history. And what U.S. politicals have uplifted as their truth is that you need to walk with Israel and allow no sunlight between the U.S. and the state of Israel to succeed politically domestically. The problem is we as Americans have no idea why strategically that makes sense for us. And so Americans, you know, I think every election we witness the U.S. president essentially pledging allegiance to the state of Israel, and we don't know what we get out of the deal. Um, so even if, if we did not have the perspective of the immense human rights abuse and the colonization and the ethnic cleansing, you know, we would at least as Americans be asking these questions about why is it that our tax dollars are going to this state that continually occupies ethnically cleanses the people. And so that's why this media battle is particularly important. That's why, you know, sources like this where folks can get a different perspective, one that's not often seen in mass media is critically important because there's a voice of the Palestinian people that even through it all is able to shift the conversation in the U.S. And that's why you've seen not only the targeting of these six NGOs in Palestine, but targeting of NGOs and Palestinian organizations here in the U.S. Before I get to any of that in the U.S., just to mention the six organizations. These are organizations doing critical work to support women organizing, agricultural workers organizing, political prisoners, And one of the orgs, DCIP, is literally, its mission is to defend children, right? And so these organizations are doing critical work to advocate for Palestinian rights, to advocate for Palestinian dignity, to advocate for Palestinian justice. And by the way, they're doing this in a completely nonviolent fashion. But the response that Israel has shown to these NGOs it's exactly why we need to keep pushing. It's exactly why we need to make sure that we're involved in either BDS campaigns or Palestine organizing spaces in the U.S. that we need to donate. Because if Israel's telling us that the violent resisting groups are terrorists, right, that's their terminology. That's what they label the groups who resist. But then they're also labeling the groups that are engaging in congressional advocacy and organizing and lobbying they're labeling those groups as terrorists too. And so what that means for us is that the lines have been blurred by the state of Israel, and they're doing that because we're winning. We're shifting the conversation. Folks are seeing the atrocities that the Israelis are conducting on a day-to-day basis, and they can't, from a PR perspective, continue to handle the way the conversation is going. So then what they would do is continue to label BDS as anti-Semitic and terrorist affiliated. continue to label organizations such as these six organizations as terrorist affiliated, And that way, you know, no matter how just or righteous their argument is, people would essentially tune them out.
1: And I only want to add to that. Thank you so much, Ahmed. I just want to add also for listeners that this idea that criticism of the state of Israel is inherently anti-Semitic, you can find Progressive Jewish groups, you know, Jews for Racial and Economic Justice come to mind, but there are a number of groups who can inform you about how concern for Palestinian rights does not amount to anti-Semitism, and that should not be able to be used as a a wedge to divide people in the U.S. or anywhere, that that is a false conflict that's being set up by people who have their own interests.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, if I could just touch on that I mean look we all recognize the monstrosity that was Nazism and the I think brutal nature of the Holocaust and what happened to the Jewish people obviously at that point in time is something you know we are all opposed to and we absolutely reject anti Semitism. This is something that you know various Palestinian organizations have outright issued statements around. We reject anti Semitism. However, when you colonize people's land and continue to do so, claiming to do so in the name of Jewish people worldwide, you're actually, again, blurring the line between Judaism and Zionism. So I think Zionism is to blame with a lot of the confusion that people have around Zionism and anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. You know, as Palestinian people, not only do we have Jewish folks that are in solidarity with us now, we have Jewish folks living with us in Palestine side-by-side, speaking Arabic, and across the Arab world. And actually, I'll note there was a really great book released a couple of years ago by a Jewish author titled When We Were Arabs, and it tells the story of Jews in Arab lands, so Jews who viewed themselves as Arabs, who woke up every day listening to Arabic music, eating Arabic food, speaking Arabic amongst their families, and then Zionism kind of abruptly changed that across the region and, 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 of course, across the world. And so we have to reject those kinds of lines that are being drawn. anti zionism is absolutely not anti-Semitism. And I can see a future where people acknowledge that. And that's, of course, going to be a future where Palestinians are finally free.
1: We've been speaking with Ahmed Abuznad from the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights. They're online at uscpr.org. Ahmed God.
0: Welcome back to Truth Talk on WMNF. I was playing a um, segment from Counterspin that recently aired featuring um, U.S. campaign... For Palestinian Rights Executive Director Ahmed Abu his name is also happens to be Ahmed. And by the way, uh, he got his start as um, in activism, as the or uh, as it relates to Florida, he co-founded the Florida-based Dream Defenders after the killing of Trayvon Martin, and um, served as his policy director and later as um, chief operating officer. And now he's at the uh, U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights. Um, if you had uh, feedback on what you heard, you can call us at 813-239-9663. Or you could email us at dj at wmnf.org. Uh, but some of the things that, you know, obviously, these are things that uh, we normally talk about on our program here. And whenever we touch on the, Is- on the topic of the Israeli occupation of Palestinians or Palestinian rights, right away small but vocal group of people or individuals or activists will try to somehow weaponize um, anti-Semitism and try to accuse us of it. Listen, um, like Ahmed said in the show or in his segment, um, Summer and I and just about every Muslim and Arab that I know condemn the Holocaust um, and uh, what the Jewish community in Europe went through during that horrific time. Uh, and the genocide, ethnic, ethnic cleansing that took place. And obviously just uh, we condemn anti-Semitism just as um, anti-black racism, just like Islamophobia. Uh, these types of, you know, hating somebody just because of their race, uh, oppressing them, mistreating them just because of who they are or, you know, their, the color of their skin... Or their race or their religion is uh, is unacceptable. That harms us all. Uh, harms all of us. But that doesn't mean we can't criticize a government or a political movement that's using um, horrific means to oppress another group of people, an entire community of people, or entire nation of people, and trying to actually, in a way, erase them. Uh, And their identity. You've got people in Washington, D.C., that are trying to claim that Palestine never existed. There's no such thing as Palestinian. In fact, they actually refuse to use the word Palestinian. They use, you know, just they call them as Arabs, uh, erasing their actual national identity of being Palestinian. What was that area called before 1948? Before the state of Israel actually existed, which was in mm-hmm. 1948. What was that area called? What were those people called? Guess what? It was called Palestine. They were called Palestinian. Um, I don't know. It's it's often frustrating because it's just such common sense. But if you got these people that just want to distract from the conversation, shut down the conversation, silence the conversation by just somehow telling, look, you're anti-Semitic. You're talking about Israel. How dare you question what Israel is doing in that area? Oh, my co-host is on one? Oh, that's nice. What is this? Surprising. I've been saying Summer is traveling and she's not going to be with us, but somehow she's calling in as a surprise Guest, Summer, you're on Truth Talk. Welcome. Where? <laughs> I didn't know you were going to make an appearance today.
3: Can you hear me, Ahmed? You hung up on me. I'm
0: surprised you're here, Summer. What's going on?
3: I just got back uh, very late uh, Monday night, and I am so jet lagged, Ahmad. I wake up at three a.m., so I was really.
0: Wow, you you actually arrived three days ago, and you didn't even tell me.
3: I'm totally jet lagged and exhausted.
0: Mm, Okay, I I thought maybe you're hiding for. Maybe you were gonna surprise me in the studio today, but you didn't make it.
3: Honestly. I was planning to, but when I woke up like three forty-five, I thought I'm going to be uh, like sleeping. Or it's not uh, very wise to drive when you have had like three hours of sleeping.
0: Mm. Well, welcome uh, back to America. You've been gone for quite some time. How long were you gone?
3: Two months and eighteen days. What? The, the long? Yeah, I think the longest I ever stayed away from uh, Florida and home.
0: Well, th- definitely welcome back. Uh, did you hear the this the uh, interview with Ahmed Abu um about you know the Palestine narrative and counterspin that we just aired?
3: Yeah, I did. Actually, I started listening at the beginning of the show. Um, so I
0: mean, isn't it frustrating for us? We we've been talking about this issue for now, you know, since since we've had our show in two thousand three. And when we started talking about it, because I guess it's maybe unusual for some of the people to actually hear voices criticizing Israel on the air, and you know, we did receive backlash and there were accusations of anti-Semitism and hatred and you've got all these groups, but none of it was actually any hate. It was just simply questioning what this government, the Israeli government was doing to Palestinians and violating their rights and... It's been documented by so many groups. But until now, we still get these type of ridiculous accusations to just simply dismiss it and try to, you know, silence us because we're talking about this issue. Um, How do you deal with it and what's the solution, do you think?
3: I just keep talking uh, about it because uh, me, maybe I have this advantage, Ahmed, of being Palestinian. My husband was born in Palestine. Both my parents were born in Palestine. So I am a living uh, example of what it means to be a Palestinian. So um, it's easier for me, I think, to talk about it because I am living this whole uh, atrocity that is going on. Maybe not as much as the people who are in Jerusalem or in the lid or in uh, Gaza.
0: But then you but, have people. Uh, you have people that are trying to actively erase your identity. To say yeah, Palestinians never that. existed. Uh, there's no such thing as Palestine. You're just an Arab. Uh, Arab from you know. You should go to Jordan. Go to Egypt. You're Arab. There's no such thing. It's just the thought of it. That's that a, this is happening here is just so bizarre.
3: Why, why, Ahmed? Uh, I mean, l- l- forget the Arab, uh, uh, the Palestine issue. When you talk to people who are so on the right, or so on the left, or uh, they start uh, labeling people and accusing people. This is a human nature, but I think mm. with what is going on with our voices is that it's a deliberate, systematic, strategic attempt to silence us, to scare us, or scare uh, the platforms that we use to speak. For instance, I remember when, after September 11, there was this uh, very, very old Jewish lady who uh, would call every station where they interview me. And really, it wasn't really about Palestine. I was talking about September 11, was talking about not, uh, uh, we shouldn't be invading Iraq. Mm. I wasn't talking about Palestine. She would call and use my last name Mm -hmm. to indicate that one of the September 11 bombers is related to my husband, that he is his uh, nephew.
0: Really, my husband I, has don't I don't yeah. even know that I don't even know all the names. But one of them had shared a similar last name as your husband.
3: Yeah, but with uh, yeah, uh, maybe written differently, but pronounced the same way. Because Jarrah means surgeon, so you can be a Yemeni, you can be a Saudi. Actually, there is this family. The name Jarrah can exist in any Arabic country or uh, even uh, a Muslim country where. One person is a Jarrah, is a surgeon. And this is how my husband's name came into being because uh, he was his great-great-grandfather was part of the medical team that went with Muhammad Ali to Palestine. Hmm. So you can be a Saudi and be Jarrah. You can be Lebanese and be Jarrah. It's like saying
0: somebody's American. last name is uh, Smith or Blacksmith or yeah, something. Blacksmith is that common?
3: Or, yeah or uh, Goldsmith, for instance. Okay, so So, she was trying to
0: somehow say that you're connected to these uh, people.
3: Yeah, no, not only that. She would send them my husband's picture because he has green eyes, and the guy, uh, I think his name was Diagera, and his eyes were blue. And she would use the eye color (laughs) to go all this trouble. And I remember uh, there was an NPR affiliate in uh, Naples, The lady called me frantically and said, uh, look, uh, I looked at the picture and the one has blue eyes and your husband has green eyes and said, so what does that mean? She said, oh, she's saying that he he would come every weekend from Venice and spend the weekend with you. And I said, and the FBI is okay about this and they never came and talked to me or to my husband or investigated
0: us. So you had and your own, you had your own troll even before Twitter.
4: Oh,
3: everywhere, any state TV station, any radio station, and that was a way to intimidate me into silence. But really, it it didn't silence me, but it silenced a couple of uh, news outlets who would uh, like call me and say, you know, this is too uh, edgy, this is too
0: controversial,
3: or controversial because they don't want to have the trouble to through the the trouble of uh, you know uh, defending their station or or explain that jarrahim surgeon so anybody can be a surgeon can be a christian and be uh, a surgeon or what
0: motive a, what do you think motivated this woman that knew nothing about you not getting, to, to go after get, you
3: not getting used to having our voices uh, out there because you always have People speak on behalf of Islam and Muslims. They either bring the mainstream media, they either bring ex- ex-Muslims, for instance, to talk about Islam, or uh, non-Muslims to talk about Islam or the Arabs. So, for after September 11, people wanted really, genuinely to talk to us and to invite us to their. Uh, houses of worship, like what happened to me, to, to listen to us directly, to see what we have to say. So when they started seeing us on TV, maybe not the mainstream TV, but local TV, local newspaper, uh, it alarmed them because we have always been stereotyped as the other, the backward, the, the vicious, uh, the violent, and all of a sudden you have uh, a woman who is a Muslim and speaks proper English and is explaining using maps, using history, using uh, very very simple methods and people are reacting very positively Uh, this uh, scared some people who are not used to having the other narrative uh, thrown out there. There has always been one narrative when it comes to the Arab world and it was the uh, right wing narrative or the Zionist narrative. So all of a sudden you have all these young Palestinians Uh, At least then (laughs) I was young, uh, coming out and speaking and lecturing and being invited to universities to speak to the level, Ahmed, that I had to write a book because I remember vividly I was invited to a book fair and the uh, president of the book fair said, you know, I feel terrible because I want you to be speaking with all these book writers, but without a book. And I think you have a story to tell, so write a book and we'll we'll start inviting you to these uh, major book events. And I did. I did at the request of uh, Americans to write uh, a book. So they're not used to, and then all of a sudden, to have uh, an hour on live radio uh, in uh, Florida where with technology people can listen to it
0: from all Mm. over
3: the world. This is why...
0: So yes. if they can't scare you and I, they might uh, try to scare the people who host us. If you're just and joining us, this is uh, Truth Talk on WMNF88.5. Samar uh, uh, is back. Well, my co-host, Samar Jarrah. My name is Ahmed Badir. We're speaking about um, criticizing Israel and how um, activists and Israel, uh, pro-Israel activists try to shut down the debate. We just played a segment uh where uh, Counterspin interviewed Ahmed Abu just uh, about that. And Summer is recalling some of the challenges and uh, the people and the obstacles of individuals trying to shut down her message. Um, Summer, uh, welcome back. One of the things I said at the beginning of the show, I wanted to talk about this uh, Israel's uh, quote unquote love interest law that sparked an uproar recently. And I wanted to play a segment about it and then come back to you for reaction. But basically, this was a law introduced, an actual law or a rule uh, that was introduced in um, to be applied to Palestinians in the West Bank. So let me just play this and then come back to you. And of course, you can also email us at DJ at WMNF.org with your comments or call us at 813-239-9663. Mark writes on email, he says, to criticize Israel's action is no more anti-Semitic than criticizing police brutality is anti-law enforcement. We have the right to criticize it, and it's legitimate criticism. I agree with you, Mark. And um, here is uh, this segment, uh, Summer, Please stand by. I think you have time, so just uh, hold on.
5: If you fall in love with a Palestinian from West Bank, you will have to tell the Israeli government. All foreigners must declare their love interests to the Defense Ministry, but that's not all. If they marry, they will be required to leave after 27 months. This will be for a cooling-off period of at least half a year. Foreign passport holders will have 30 days to declare their romantic relationship. They will also have to declare if they have or will inherit land. This was part of Israel's new strategy. They plan to tighten rules on foreigners living in the West Bank. But this plan faced massive backlash. So much so that Israel had to withdraw the rule. But it isn't the only bizarre diktat Israel had. They are also making it for Palestinians with foreign passports to travel to West Bank. They will have to apply for a visa 45 days in advance. They may not be able to fly into Tel Aviv's airport either. There is already an Israeli ban on granting residency status to foreign spouses of Palestinians. This means thousands continue to live with an uncertain legal status ironically these rules are not applicable on Jewish settlers living here West Bank was occupied by Israel in the 1967 war but out of the three million people living out here many are Jewish Israeli citizens the Israelis living out here are called settlers they live in the West Bank but are citizens of Israel These settlements enjoy widespread backing among Israelis, many of whom view them as a religious, national or strategic necessity. Israel cites historical and biblical links to the region. Many Jews look at it as an integral part of the biblical land of Israel. Over 460,000 Israeli settlers reside in the occupied West Bank. There are around 130 officially recognized settlements. Israel says these settlements were built on vacant or unused land. But Palestinians claim the land is often bought from them using middlemen. Most countries view these settlements as illegal. But that is not
0: Summer, so that's the love interest law. And then just some background. This is actually... Um, This piece was uh, published online, this video piece by a group called World is One News. And it kind of summarizes uh, this controversial law that's now been um, redacted or delayed. They didn't implement it because the backlash, uh, even from allies of Israel, of how ridiculous it is to also now uh, manage or legislate who Palestinians can love. I mean, you have this uh, saying, especially in the United States and throughout the West, that love is love, love whoever you want to. But that doesn't necessarily apply for Palestinians, it seems, or Palestinians in the West Bank, because uh, their love has to be managed by the IDF. Why was this law put into place, and what was the strategy or the purpose behind it, or their attempt to put this law in place?
3: I think they are legalizing a policy that has been going on Ahmed since the first time I went to Palestine. I remember I took uh, something called political tour. And uh, the guy uh, said, okay, if you don't mind, um, I am going to stop at my wife's uh, house in uh, Ramallah. And we thought, yeah, of course, why not? He said, because um, legally... Uh we cannot be together
0: what is that? wow why
3: uh, because she is from Ramallah uh from the West Bank, the occupied West Bank, and he is from Jerusalem. He has a Jerusalem uh card okay so how
0: far apart are they Jerusalem and Ramallah
3: maybe by car, like maximum ten minutes
0: what like this is like going yeah. from one part of Tampa to the next.
3: Like let's say with my knowledge of Tampa from Martin Luther King till uh, like you want to take the exit uh, to I-75 or 275 Wow! from the station.
0: Just from the station so, just to get on the highway. So yeah. just going that far, you can't marry somebody from the other side of 275?
3: I mean, people he, he do, but he, he, he would be risking the revoking of his uh, residency in Jerusalem. And this is like a huge thing because if they revoke the residency, you won't be able to be called uh, a, a Palestinian Jerusalemite. And, you know, with the judaization of everything going on, Palestinians, of course, don't want to lose their right uh, to residency. So they're, they're not citizens of the state. They're residents, okay? Okay. Because so, they're stateless.
0: Uh, they actually don't have any citizenship to anywhere.
3: Because, because Israel does not uh, believe in the idea of a statehood for Palestinians or that Jerusalem belongs to the Palestinians. So, anyways, so the guy would say, yeah, if I am caught uh, in Ramallah with my wife, okay, because he can go to anywhere. Yeah. Uh, or she is caught here in Jerusalem. Uh, I uh, I might be my residency might be revoked, and then he will have to move to Ramallah and live there all the time. But his wife can't join him; the kids can't join him. So whenever he wants to see his kids, he has to do it through this tour uh, that he's doing. So I think the law wanted to legalize what is already some sort of a law or some sort of circumstance that exists. But of course, uh, the outrage was.
0: But, but this, additionally, it wasn't just being applied to Palestinians that are living within that land. Uh, this also applies to foreigners coming, at, let's say somebody's an American or a British or somebody European or from any country that's not from that area or resident of that area, and they travel there. They're supposed to somehow notify the Israeli military within 30 days that they have a love interest or a relationship or a girlfriend or a fiance within the, that, that are within the West Bank and uh, if they end up getting married they have to actually leave the country, leave the whole area in 27 months, is that what I heard?
3: I think so because the whole point is you don't want people to come and see the truth so they make it more difficult but Again, if he gives the lady from the West Bank, let's say, British citizenship or uh, American citizenship, then she can be traveling inside Israel freely. She can be going and visiting but- Jerusalem maybe for the first time in her life or reconnect with her family that never left Haifa or Akka and see them for the first time in her life. So this is, again, once um, no. uh, you have an upper side system, and you have a colonial system they do these laws and it, they become amazed. so you no longer know what is right and what is wrong and if i'm so if i want to have a date somebody i have to put where my residency is so it's it's just a systematic way to make your life miserable even more and drive you
0: uh, but away. is it also just to try to uh, you know Remove Palestinians from their land because, let's say, you marry, and then you can no longer live there anymore. You'd have to go abroad. So, um, like, if a if if a person falls in love with a Palestinian a man or a woman, and they want to go live with them in Palestine, they can't actually do that. They they'd have to leave, and that's just yeah, a way yeah. of getting more and more Palestinians out off their land.
3: No, but uh, it, when you are an American, it doesn't mean you are not from a Palestinian background. So there are many American uh, Palestinians who can go to Palestine because they have the American citizenship. And they can live in uh, uh, the, uh, in Israel because they have the citizenship. Now they are trying to deprive them. So it's the Palestinians who are returning returning as Americans or as Europeans. From and denying
0: them from living in Palestine.
3: Yeah, they want to deny them the ability to live in Palestine. So all people need to do is when they listen to such reports is to remove the word Palestinian and put black.
0: Why would, why would they do that?
3: And think how, uh, what people will say. What do people say when they say, okay, if you are an American and you fell in love with a black, and you're white, you have to report to the authorities. People will be outraged. They don't need to understand anything. They don't need to read history. But but the stereotyping of Palestinians has been so messed up that people listen to this and not think of uh, the racism that every word related to this report is based and based in racism. That this is a racist way of talking about people.
0: Well, I mean, I think it, but this racism, in addition to racism, it is also a racism designed for a purpose. There's a strategy here where I see, in a way, it's a, a type of ethnic cleansing, not necessarily in this case, in this policy, using violence, but using relationships. Because at the end, if you want to shift demographics, if you want to empty the West Bank of Palestinians, or reduce the number of Palestinians, you look for ways how to reduce it. And one of the ways is obviously everybody is going to fall in love. They're going to get married. They're going to have relationships. And if you do that with somebody from outside your area, then you could lose your status or your residency. You'd basically have to go and live wherever that love interest came from, even if they're Palestinian-Americans. Um, because I think those Foreigners, whether they're Palestinian of origin but are now uh, American or European uh, nationality, uh, they won't give them residency. Maybe they can visit, but they can't really live there in the Palestinian territories. And just that's just another way of making sure people are not living uh, in the land, um, you know, or staying there. And I I also find it interesting that many Palestinians that either apply for asylum or apply for to leave and, and, and for to, to migrate or immigrate to other countries, oftentimes that's facilitated, and I, and I get the feeling that that's happening because more and more, you know, that Israel has this agreement that they want to be able to get more and more Palestinians off their land. I'm not sure if you agree with that or not.
3: Yeah, and uh, I think what uh, people in Palestine say, that they seem to be facilitating for Christian Palestinians more than Muslims because they want at the end of the day to uh, cloak this uh, issue uh, and this conflict uh, or this uh, racist uh, colonial enterprise as a religious one, Jews versus Muslims. And Christians will eventually side with the Jews against the Muslims. But uh, so they give, that's what people like tell me, that they, they are very willing to give visas uh, the European counselors in consulates in Jerusalem and the American Embassy to Christians versus uh Muslims. that's what they say. I don't have any statistics or anything to mm. prove this point, but you know you listen to people who are from there, and this is what they tell you. However, their existence anyway is uh, full of laws that are like you, you they don't know sometimes that they just erected a checkpoints here. Or uh, you have to have your ID there or something, or that there is a new law uh, just came out related to your taxes. So they're, they're, if you read the British history and what they did in their colonies, you will find that they are just repeating the same uh, methods and uh,
0: if you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF eighty point five. We're uh, kind of getting near the end of our show. Summer, my co-host is uh, back from yeah. traveling. Um, it sounds you're. I, I don't know. It sounds like you're a little bit out of breath. Or at least that's what I hear. Are you? Um, are you walking on your treadmill or something? No, nothing.
1: Oh. I'm
3: outside in my garden. But wanted to ask you. Yeah. How is? How was the coverage, or is the coverage of the? U.S. media of the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth. I mean, it's I been think.
0: around the clock. Obviously, um, that's all I you see you from every it. every angle, every movement. that's being covered. I haven't really but, been reacting much to so it. I do see some criticism from here, you know, from time to time about uh, the colonial past of uh, England and yeah. and the Queen's role and stuff. But, but what? But, why do you ask?
3: No, because I was curious. I couldn't uh, follow the American news, but I was able, of course, like uh, German TV in Arabic and French TV in Arabic, all these uh, stations have services in Arabic, and it was wall to wall. And uh, even in the Arab world on Twitter, some people were like lamenting her passing and other people saying, are you kidding me? One of the reasons why you are a third-world country is because uh, Elizabeth didn't mind her troops uh, occupying Egypt or Syria or, uh, or uh, uh, bombing Syria, uh, Egypt in 1956 uh, mm. uh, during the. But did she the-
0: really? I mean, it's because it's a constitutional monarch. Her role is more symbolic. Does she really have a, a role in those decisions? When since she's been queen, or is that mainly the government that's enacting these things?
3: So the, the prime minister has to take her blessing. She can't just tell them, you know, guys, stop uh, uh, using torture uh, when you are trying to quell uh, the, the commonwealth uh, nations, nations when they want independence. I mean, she's, right. the, she's she rules over these uh, entities, she, so she had no clue.
0: No, I think she probably did, but uh, I think this is one. from what I read about her, she was mostly hands off when it comes to policy, and didn't really. The only thing that she has the the power of is maybe, you know, what they call sacking the prime minister or removing them from power. Um, and I'm not sure if she actually did that. I think she might have done that once, but I'm not really sure. I'm not I'm not that familiar with uh, the queen's history, but. It is interesting that in this day and age, you still have a monarch like that. And, you know, that people are, you know, I was listening to some person's reaction. He says, you know, to me, the queen is divine. You know, I worship her and not God. And I just thought there are people like that in the world still. It's just uh, amazing. Yeah. But it's. It, it's, the obsession is not only here, like you said, it's also in no, the Middle no, East. No. I, I saw one person actually get in trouble, some Yemeni guy who made the Umrah, which is a kind of a religious pilgrimage to Mecca in honor of the queen. I don't know if you saw that in social yeah, media. Oh,
3: I think he was trying to forget the visa probably. <laughs>
0: Right. Sometimes they do that. That's a tradition, uh, a religious tradition that people do that after somebody passes away, you can actually go and make a pilgrimage um, kind of dedicated to that person that passed away and it it should help them in their um, life after death. Because of course, as Muslims, we believe that there is a life after death, kind of an eternal life. That's where life really begins, uh, that the life that we're in now is really temporary compared to the but next so, I thought, so I they do that only
3: for Muslims, Ahmed.
0: Well, of course i mean i'm saying other you know monothe- other faiths have similar beliefs of course that there is a life after but i was just talking about our faith
3: no i meant like to do umrah like the guy the see many guys so mm. uh, you
0: do Umrah for a dead Muslim. Right, or, yeah, rel- usually you do it for a relative, your mother, your brother, your father, because they weren't able to do it. And, yeah, you usually don't do it for somebody who doesn't actually believe in the faith at all. Because, you know, how is that going to help them? You know, they believe in something else. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so you think he had an ulterior uh, agenda, motive to maybe to get attention. or But he ended up getting in trouble?
3: Yeah, I think he was arrested by the Saudi
0: authorities. But why?
3: Because it created like a lot of uh, negative feedback, like uh, as if he represents the Saudis or something.
0: Oh, okay. So it's like, like a Saudi backlash Saudi on the Saudi yeah. government itself. and
3: Yeah, and the Saudis. And I mean, why, why just not shut it from the beginning?
0: Well, in fact, I mean, that's kind of silly because once you do that, it actually gets him more attention. I mean, that's probably how people, more and more people knew about him is because of the attention he garnered. But maybe they think that that's a way to stop these type of of things from uh, becoming viral because if they see he's getting attention or he ends up getting a visa or whatever, which is not true, I I doubt that would happen, that that would encourage other copycats. Um, Now that you're back uh, in America, are you happy to be back? Were you homesick or... Do you, did yes, you course. have a, a great I journey?
3: Yeah, I, I lived uh, most of my life in the U.S. I came 32 years ago, so no matter how much you travel, this is home.
0: But you missed a very hot summer here, uh, you know, in Florida. Oh, very hot God. and humid.
3: <laughs> thank God. <laughs> I think I'm going to plan to do this every year, Ahmed. I can't stand the heat anymore. Absolutely.
0: Why? It, has it changing? Is it getting hotter or you're just... Yeah, tired of when it. When I
3: moved, to, when I moved to the US, I had pullovers. I would wear like January. What's February a pullover?
0: Month. Because some people don't are not familiar uh, with that sweater, word. Sweater,
3: sweater, okay. a sweater, uh, and I would uh, put the fireplace on. What? Yeah, <laughs> swear to God, like nineteen ninety. Ask uh, if anyone is listening and lived in Florida in nineteen ninety. Didn't we get cold?
0: Uh, yeah, in the uh, winter you still winter? get some some cold in the winter.
3: No, it was totally different. I loved January, February, March, almost April, May. Now it's hot from the end of March.
0: So you're seeing global warming happening uh, even, you know, in Fort Myer? or
3: in my, in my backyard. I see it in my backyard.
0: Well, um, we're basically out of time. Summer, it's good to have you back. Hope you'll be in the studio next week. This has been uh, True Talk on WMNF. Inshallah, by the way, is Arabic for God willing. Um, but yeah, it's good to have you back. Um, NPR News is next. And after that, more great programming um, on WMNF. So see you at the same time, same place. Next uh next uh when is it? Thursday. Thursday, eleven o'clock. I'm almost I'm losing my mind here. Um So closing out with this uh this is uh Sitil Kul by Wa el Have a great week and summer. <laughs>
4: لقيت اللي فيها
0: حلمت
4: أول مره بتعرف على بنت أنا يا عالم عايش ببحر كلنا عم صرت انا يا عالم عم دوب عايش ببحر قلوب كلنا عمري قولوا لي باحلى حالاتي صرت شو بحبك مش معقول ما بقلك شو حسيت انا كنت مضيع حالي وفيكي حال